from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe him in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How many of us have been reading First Peter? That was, that was an assignment for all of us, because we know our message will be coming from First Peter. So I don't want to see the hands up, but I know I can see the smiles. First Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. Um, as most of you know, I just came back from Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone is in West Africa, and therefore you fly, you fly from Columbus, this time to New Jersey, from New Jersey to Brussels, from Brussels to Freetown. Going, it was nice. Coming, too many delays because there was thunderstorm in New Jersey. Therefore, it affected us in Brussels because the plane never took off on time. And then you arrive in New Jersey and there were delays and another delay another delay to come to Columbus. But you made it and went to Freetown to, to join the family in the funeral of my younger brother. And um, he was a good guy. He came back to Sierra Leone in 1986 after his studies and then he came as a medical doctor. I picked him up from the airport, brought him home, and we spent two weeks together because two weeks after he arrived, I left for the United States. And um, whenever I go to Freetown, we of course visit. And um, he fell ill four years ago and um, when you think about death, one thing that comes to mind for all of us, Christians especially, but non-Christians also, is that where do you go after death? And I'm sure if you ask a lot of Christians, or probably all Christians, where do you go after death, they will say, you guys don't even know. Yeah, they will say heaven. They will say heaven. And if you read the passage from First Peter today, you get a taste of what it means to be in heaven, of what probably the criteria would be, the prerequisite is 
for us to be in heaven. And reading through the epistle of Peter, I'm reminded of a song I learned during either Sunday school, youth camp, or Youth for Christ. He says, no, you can't get to heaven without, and then they spell the word, S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. What does that spell? Salvation. And then it says in the second line, I-O-N, shout it out, loud and clear. S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. Shout it out, loud and clear. S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. Christians, as well as non-Christians, all need hope. We live in a world where every day people are searching for some hope. This portion of Peter, if we remember, Peter was addressing Christians, believers, scattered in about five provinces, and they were suffering. And when somebody is suffering, they need somebody to be there to comfort them, to give them hope. I mean, if you go to the hospitals, nurses do that. If you go to hospice centers, people do that. If you go to nursing homes, they do that. When somebody is suffering, you give them hope. If you go to your home, you have kids and grandkids, and they are going through something that you don't even understand, you try to give them hope. And so Peter wrote this epistle to give hope to people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says, I want you to understand that salvation is deliverance from the punishment we were to receive because of sin. And that is true today as it was during the first century of our faith. The scripture says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Peter, knowing that, wants all those who were suffering in the first century to know that salvation was brought to us through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Somebody paid the price for us. You think you are suffering now, says Peter? Remember, Jesus paid the price at Calvary for you. Salvation carries for us the idea of victory, victory over the presence and the power of sin. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated the life. Salvation gives us hope of a meaningful life. 
one that is solid, one that is secured, and one that is everlasting. The life we get after all the sufferings on earth, says Peter, is secured in the Lord. It is solid. Nobody can take it from you. And guess what, says Peter? It is everlasting. Everlasting meaning a life that has a beginning but has no end. And when we die as Christians, and when we die as people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have that everlasting life. Salvation is available through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And you can get that from the scripture, because there are two passages in the scripture that give us that assurance that salvation is through Jesus Christ, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. In, in John chapter 14, verse 6, this is what the scripture says. Jesus was talking to the disciples. He was saying to them, I will prepare a place for you. I need to go. And Thomas, one of his disciples, asked a question. And then Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And therefore, I believe that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Because again, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then, in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verse 12, the scripture says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. So those two passages of Scripture, John 14, Acts of the Apostles 4, tells us that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, if you're drowning in a swimming pool and the lifeguard pulls you out, that means you've been saved by that person. That person becomes your hero. You remember the story in Acts of the Apostles when Paul and Silas were spending the night in a Philippian jail. An earthquake shook the doors open. And also, the chains fell from the feet of Peter and Silas. And the jailer woke up realizing that when a prisoner escapes, the consequence to the jailer is death. So what did the jailer do? He drew his sword to commit suicide. When Paul and Silas stopped him, they made him realize they did not escape. They were still in the jail. The jailer exclaimed, he shouted, what must I do to be saved? He didn't ask them, why didn't you escape? He didn't ask them, what's wrong with you that you're still in jail? 
He simply said, what must I do to be saved? He was not interested in theological questions. He was interested in survival. How can I get out of here alive? He says, what must I do to be saved? And my friends, that's the question Christians as well as non-Christians ask. What must I do to be saved? And those of us who are Christians are already saved. And we become witnesses to those who are pre-Christians or non-Christians, those who are still searching to be saved. And so Peter wrote this epistle. And I would like us to examine the words of chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Because in the first place, you have a divine admiration. And what is this divine admiration? Peter says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, in everything we do, through the suffering that you go through, the ups and downs of, 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 of your daily life, the hustle and the bustle of society, Peter says, we need to praise God, who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we know that is true. Every moment of every day, we should be praising God. Because we know that our God is good. Amen? If you cannot do anything for God or to God, my friends, you need to praise God. In the traditional service, when the offering is lifted and brought forward, we sing what is called the doxology. And it simply says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And my friends, the blessings of God are flowing among us every day. When I pray, I say to God, sometimes I don't recognize your blessings. Sometimes I do. And for the blessings that I recognize and that which I don't recognize, I thank you. We need to praise God every day, my friends. And that's what Peter is saying. There is a divine ad admiration. Praise God. And I'm sure every one of us have reasons to praise God. Just the fact that you wake up on a given day is reason enough for you to say, praise be to God. Amen? Just the fact that you come to church, you are able to. I came and I was in the vehicle and I decided I just want to observe how people transition in and out of the, the sanctuary. Because as pastor, when you come, you just come in and you start to talk and do your thing. But today I observe that at least there are two vehicles that came and brought people to church. Then they went back and picked their partner for service. So as a pastor, you say, praise God for those people. Those people who can just go and pick somebody up and bring them to church. Amen? So you praise God for that. 
And there are many other things in life that we can praise God for. Secondly, in this passage, it is not only the divine admiration, but you see the divine actions. The divine actions from verse 4, where Peter says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in verse 4 he says, And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoiled, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, we give admiration to God because God has given us his action. God, Peter says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. And yes, this new birth is what we are all after. All of us. It was, it was Cornelius in John, the third chapter, who went to Jesus at night. You remember the story? Cornelius was a Jew thing who went to Jesus at night and wanted to know something about salvation. And what did Jesus say? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus did not say you cannot enter. Jesus said, except you be born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And so Peter says to us, God has given us that new birth. And it is that new birth, my friends, that we all experience when Jesus died on the cross and we believed in him. And Peter says, we, we have been given an inheritance that can never perish, never spoiled, or never fade away. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. Oh, it is the divine admiration and the divine actions. But then Peter brought us a little bit closer to the human, human attention. Because in verse 6, 7, he says, In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have heard to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, Peter says, look, you live in a world. You're going to suffer a little. There will be some pain. There will be some trials. There will be some tribulations. Jesus Christ says, in the world, you will have tribulation. He told us that. And then he says, be of good cheer, be okay, because I have overcome the world. So Peter says to those who are suffering, it's okay. It's okay. Because that is normal. 
We go through it. We go through it. You wake up in the morning and you get a phone call that says, hey, your brother died yesterday. It's part of life. You feel it. You grieve. You go through it. Peter says it's going to happen. You understand? You go to the doctor and the doctor says, I think I need further test. And then the results come and tell you something you are not even thinking about. Peter says it's going to happen. You lost your job. And you don't know where the next income, the next paycheck is coming from. It's going to happen. And you say, but I'm a Christian. I should not go through it. Peter says, it's going to happen. And we know the rest of the story. Because we go through it. Is there anybody in this sanctuary this morning that has not suffered pain? That has not gone through suffering? That has not experienced anything? Just the, you look at the rose without the turn? My friend, listen to me. We all go through it. Okay? Peter says it's okay. You know what? It's not going to last long. We may think it is an eternity. We're not going to last long. He says, it's just like gold. You know, you know, you go to the goldsmith. They put you through the fire. He says in verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, remember that, the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, Peter says, go through the tunnel. Because at the end of the tunnel, what do you have? What do you have? Oh, come on, talk as if you're confident. At the end of a tunnel, what do you have? Yes, you have light, you have hope. The dark tunnel going through it. I remember when I just started driving through Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C., and you have all those tunnels that you go through. Sometimes you get afraid. Sometimes you just praise the Lord, there is light. That's what Peter is saying. We go through it, my friends. But at the end, Peter says, it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Go through it. Because at the end, there is victory. And finally, we have a divine assurance. In verse 8 and verse 9, Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believed in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. What else do you need, Christians? Peter has given us everything. Though you have not seen him, 
you believe in him. Because yes, we are not Thomas. Thomas did not see and did not believe. We have not seen, but we believe. Amen? That's what Peter is saying. And Jesus himself says, Blessed are those who have not seen, but have believed. And Peter is giving us the same narrative. Though, my friends, you have not seen him, you believe in him, you love him for the salvation of our soul. One of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is providing us the ongoing assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. We're not losing it. You are loved by Jesus Christ because of your faith in him. This was powerfully witnessed by John Wesley in his Aldergate experience. For years, Wesley had sought to be holy, but his fruitless discipline and devotion left him deeply disconnected. And you know, we have Christians, we have people like that. They practice holiness, but they are not really there yet. They practice religion. Religion. After all, he was an Oxford graduate. After all, he grew up in a Christian home. His dad was a pastor. His mom set up church in the house. In 1725, he made a lifelong decision to God. But it was not a life-giving decision to God. Two years later, in 1727, he had another defined religious experience. And we all go through this religious experience. He became devoted to the development of his interior life. And he rigorously disciplined his religious practice. Oh, there is a difference between the religiousness of people and the relationship they have with Jesus Christ. Because that too left him lifeless, empty, uncertain, and joyless. There is nothing there when we practice religion and religion only. Then came his most famous experience in May 24th, 1728, and he recorded that experience in his journal. This is what Wesley said. I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins and of death. Oh, that moment, Wesley had a relationship. It was no longer just religion. It was now a relationship. And that's the difference between the Christian faith and all the other religions of the world. The other religions of the world, you observe. You observe. You observe. And in Christianity, what do you have? You have a relationship with who? With the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question for you this morning is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? 
Or are you just practicing religion? On Sunday, I have to go to church and hear that preachers preach. And if it goes more than 59 minutes, 59 seconds, I am going to be unhappy with him. Or do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? that says to you, he died on the cross for me. He has forgiven my sins. I am a new person because he has saved me from the presence and the penalty of sin. And so one day you wake up, you are not the same person you were when you went to bed, my friends. It is important to note that this thing that happened to Wesley was not the transformation of an unbelieving man into a person of faith. No, it was the last of his conversion. He became a Christian. Ted Turner once said in a USA Today interview, he said, when you look in the mirror in the morning, you are looking at the Savior. Nobody is going to save you but yourself. And if you meet Ted Turner, he's still alive. Tell him your preacher says he's wrong. He was wrong then, he's wrong now, he will be wrong tomorrow. Because if salvation is dependent upon you, upon us, we are in bad shape. We are in bad shape, my friends. Christians say, we cannot, we cannot save ourselves. Somebody has to save us. Somebody did the work for us. All we have to do is to put our faith in him. Paul says to the Roman congregation, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. A modern conqueror is somebody who wins a victory without fighting the battle. The battle was fought for us. Jesus did it for us. The first step in salvation is to come to believe there is a God. There is a God, my friends. Or you can say there is God. You have to believe that. The second step is to understand that I am not God. And that's the truth. We pastors may pretend we are, but we are not God. Neither are we who are Christians. I am not God. It's the power beyond us who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Do you have sense enough to accept it? That's the joy of our faith. Or do you think you are God so you can save yourself? I am not God. There is God, the great creator, who rolled back the waters of the mighty Red Sea, who said to the children of Israel, I will never leave you if you put your trust in me. That's the God we're talking about. 
Do you believe in him this morning? My friends, do you believe in him this morning? I do. I do. Oh, you can't go to heaven without S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. And who gives us salvation is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me. And all I have to do is to believe, to believe, and to believe. Do you believe in him this morning? Don't forget to go out. Before we come back next Sunday, make sure you tell somebody about your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Tell somebody about your faith in Jesus Christ so that somebody else, as you do in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God's people say, Amen. Amen.